Are you in contact with the beyond? Well, we've had our share of snake charmers in the past. We deal with them. You don't fool people, Stan. They fool themselves. I've given you a fortune. It's time that you deliver it. When does it end? Mm -hmm. I want to know. Chicago for the agency podcast. And Eugene here in Toronto. How are you doing? Well, I'm I'm doing well. I you know, I just poured myself a double shot of uh mm. Dewar's 12-year-old scotch. Oh nice. And it's well, not bad. Good. I'm double I'm I'm double fisting. I've got um tea on one side and I've got a little prosecco on the other when I'm ready in about half an hour. All right. But I need some caffeine first. I was outside, I need to warm up. And got cozy. And speaking of being outside and warming up, it's so cold. My lips are so chapped that at one point I had a split lip. It's like I had another vagina. It was just like <laughs> terrible. <laughs> I don't know what to say. It was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another vagina. I have, never, I have never experienced somebody comparing their lip to a new vagina. Well, the split on my lip, yes. And I like another <laughs> vagina, but without any of the fun. <laughs> Um, I had to live like in, um, you know, lip balm for all week or something. It would not go. It was just like continuously cold. So um, sorry about that. How's things going with you? <laughs> well, things are things are going well. You know, I went out yesterday. Uh, the things you do for the podcast, right? I wanted oh, yeah. to be able to see uh, Nightmare Alley before the yes. podcast. And so theaters have just reopened here yep. in Toronto. Uh, so I went out uh, to, it was playing at three o'clock yesterday at the theater that's out by square one in Mississauga. Oh yeah. That's right? a bit it's, of a journey. It's, it's kind of like out in the parking lot outside of square one, oh, just north yeah. of square one. Yeah. So I, I went out there and it turns out that Monday at three o'clock is not <laughs> right after the theaters have just reopened is not the most popular time to go to a movie. I was like one of the only cars in the entire parking lot oh, and I go in and there's just the staff. That's mm. it. It's just, it's so weird. It's it was, a good time to go to movies. It's a good time to go to movies, but yeah. I, you know, I'll, I'll be happy when people realize, Hey, they can all go out and uh, enjoy the movies a little bit again. I agree. And every time we've gone, we've really been the only people in the theater. It may be one, another couple of people. There's only been, and now this is, I'm going to say, except for, what was the film I saw where it was full? I can't remember now. There was one I saw where it was like tons of people went to it. Oh, The Matrix. But yeah. all the rest of the year, it's been five people in the theater. Very strange. <laughs> oh, no, it wasn't The Matrix. It was The House of Gucci was full. Ah. And I was sitting next to somebody. We had lots of space between our seats. I shouldn't say full, but almost full. Sure. But, I mean, given yeah. the circumstances. Yes. But it was a very packed room given the circumstances. Yeah, I, I watched Nightmare Alley at home 
on ah. my movie theater TV. Well, because I was pressed for time, I couldn't make it to the theater. Sure. Well, yeah. and we both watched it, I should say, because the other night I was playing Go and Sheila decided to whip out, whip out to, well, I don't play Go constantly, but I regularly. <laughs> uh, anyway, I was playing Go. I was being boring. So I'll she tell you said, what. fine, I'm going to go out to the movies. And she went out and watched this movie just up the road at the, at the Queensway. And she came right. back and gave it rave reviews. Yes, and I when I said constantly, I thought you were going in a different direction. I thought you were going to say, and Sheila was texting us, and I was going to say constantly. <laughs> so my joke really died because I didn't mean about you playing Go. I meant that she really did rave about it. So yes, I did. made an effort. I had no intention of seeing this movie, period. You know, it wasn't on my radar either, but I'm really glad that I did. Yeah, I'm glad I did too. It's a very good movie. Yeah, it's a remake. The first one was 1947, directed by a British director, Edmund Goulding, starring Tyrone Power. And apparently it was a time in his career when he was trying to get past his kind of typecasting as a swashbuckler mm. and get into some different sorts of roles. Mm. Uh, and both films uh, are based on a novel from 1946 by William Lindsay Grisham. Gresham? Yeah. Yes, Gresham. Um, and both called Nightmare Alley, which is a peculiar title, isn't it, for this film? Yes, but I mean, from the title, you can tell what it is right away, can't you? Well, you know, good things aren't going to happen. Yeah, I guess I was thinking it's a very existential title. Sure, um, yeah. sure. and you could call like this... no exit. Yeah, you, you might call it a rise and fall story, but you mm. might just call it a fall story. <laughs> you know, the rise is kind of a, a blip before the monumental fall in a way, uh, in, in the journey to the bottom, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's a dark movie, for sure. Yeah. It's a dark movie. Um, the well, one, it's a film noir, would you say? I would call it neo-noir. I think that's the uh, that's okay. what the hip kids call these, uh, these new noir films. Okay. Um, directed by Guillermo del Toro. Uh -huh. um, great cast. And... Um, interesting cast in lots of ways. Bradley Cooper as Stanton Carlisle, uh, Tony Collette as Zena, David Strathern as Pete, Rooney Mara as Molly, and Kate Blanchett as Dr. Ritter, with a couple of other interesting appearances. For instance, Willem Dafoe is fabulous as Clem. He's so good. And Ron Perlman as the strong man. That role was built for him. Yeah, he was so perfect in it. Yeah, um, yeah, as this tender strongman, very, very nice, nice little, little role. Um, very interesting uh, remake. It's set in a carny, but much of it is in a carny, yeah. carny life. I was yeah. the first half in particular, and in a way, it's like two movies. Hmm. There's like movie one which mm -hmm. is from the beginning where we see the protagonist dragging a body and burning down a home. Um, then he shows up at a carny where he's told by Clem that the folks around here don't much care what you've done in the past. Right. Um, right. So it's a place for him to go and he gets hired on at, at the carnival where yeah. he befriends the people who have these various strange acts mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and he's learning. He asked to learn from a guy named Pete, who's a washed up mentalist. Mm-hmm. And he wants to learn his, the tools of the trade. Mm-hmm. And he knows that Pete has a book with the code and it's yeah. the code to human behavior is yeah. all in one book, which is a lovely idea, isn't it? It is a lovely idea. And yeah. Um, and the, the, the protagonist, Stanton, uh, ends up killing Pete. And my first question is, um, well, I just, just to ruin it for our listeners, I should say that mm. the guy who sells the moonshine at the carnival has a box of bottles of moonshine on one side and a box of wood alcohol bottles mm-hmm. on the other. And mm-hmm. he grabs a bottle of wood alcohol for Pete and gives it to Pete. Pete drinks it and dies. My yeah. question is, did he kill Pete on purpose or was it genuinely an accident? Well, he's kind of a passive aggressive bad guy, really. I mean, basically, I and I would say it's a fall and a fall. I wouldn't say it's a rise and a fall. I would say it's a fall and a fall. He's already fallen. The, the, it's already done because the... The moment you just you described the opening scene about yeah, fire that's the fall. That's the first body. Yes. Yeah. Is that he's coming from a traumatized past. And um, we find out that, you know, that's not that this is a second murder that we know of with Pete. And I think the first one was an accidental fake. He just can't handle that. He's killing somebody instead yes. of strangling them. I, just, that was my feeling. Yeah. Too. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think yeah. it's a gorgeous film. It's oh, really it? beautiful. He, to watch. he ends up at a, at a carnival, which is populated by golds and yellows and browns um, and really weird artifacts like strange deformed babies in jars Mm -hmm. and um, uh, there's all the usual carny Mm -hmm. accoutrements and early on you see a little person and that's when we get introduced to the low shot and one of the things that uh, that Del Toro really uses a lot in this film is the low shot. Just so many throughout the film. There's so many views from below of the various characters. Mm. Um, I think it's uh, it's it's a, a kind of a motif or, or an approach he he repeats several times right. in the film. Yeah, um, the, you know the colors are really beautiful. It's it's it never. What I would say is that it was always a fantasy land. It's definitely a psychological thriller in the fact that we're finding out the inside of this man's journey. I I, ha- I always felt like I knew exactly how it was going to end. Mm-hmm. But that's also because I'm a big fan of the movie Freaks. Do you remember okay. that one? Uh, I'm aware of the movie. Yeah. Well, it's a circus um, setting. And I'm sure the author of the book probably was was doing an inversion of it because it's a female character who goes into the circus in freaks and then this is a male character and um they kind of end in very similar ways and i and you there was a lot of foreshadowing that's it wasn't really a subtle metaphoric film in in many ways it was very much made to be this is the world of his because it was his psychology um all of yes. it you remember when he falls asleep in the train and the train moves and then it, the next i thought that was beautiful with the, the background on the train right in the in the early part of the film and then he really falls asleep, but right away wakes up by the carny. So That's we right. know it's not a realistic film by any means. It's a fantasy and, film. And it is a very surrealistic kind of world. And it's, uh, to be to be fair, it's not the first time that people have, have imagined the carny in similar sorts of ways. Yeah. Uh, I think, for instance, of um, a fairly short-lived TV show from a few years ago oh, I love called that Carnival. Oh, I love that from um, HBO. It's sort of a kind of 
creepy in that it sort of deals with the biggest possible picture of life and death of the world. Um, mm-hmm. And then it has this kind of interior life in the in the carny. Um, very flawed series, but kind of kind of good too. Yeah, and, you know, unfortunately, they didn't get any money to finish it. It would have been fun to see some more seasons, I think. Um, so why would he make this movie right now? I mean, it's it was they're both flops. This one was a box office bomb, and so was the first 1947 one. This um, one's a this, box office bo- uh, bomb. It's still it's, on. It hasn't it's still bombed on. yet. I, I don't think, yeah, and I think it's going to make money on the rentals and and uh, in the home uh, box office. And it's really probably because of the pandemic. I think if it wasn't the pandemic, it, the box office would be full. Um, I just think it's bad timing. It's not, it's not per se its fault that it's not going to make the kind of money it costs to make it, I think. Um but I wonder why why make an existential film right now? I just thought that was really interesting because he must have started to make it during the pandemic. I think it's a very good time to make an existential film. Absolutely, because um, we're questioning during the pandemic so many things that are basic to our, our normal, so-called normal lives. Yeah. Um, everything uh, that we take as, even in the last few years, things that we might have taken as fact. There's... Mm-hmm. In today's media landscape, what is fact? Yeah, fact is just uh, how I feel about a, something. Uh, anything could be a fact. There are no facts. There right. is no truth. Right. Uh, that's I think things that we're questioning today, and in particular because it's a, during a pandemic. Yeah, it's funny because overnight it was nominated. I mean, I guess it was people were assuming it was going to be nominated for best picture, but it is one of the nominations for best picture today. Ah. Yeah, along well, I with... think it deserves it. I think it's a strong film. Although, you know, as I was saying, it, oh. it's like two films. Mm-hmm. And I think if it has a weakness, it's that it they haven't sewn film one and film two together quite well enough. Mm-hmm. And part of that is there's no reason. And I know you see you're going to see this coming because it's my constant <laughs> criticism. There's no reason for this to be in a two, a two and a half hour film. Wow. I did not see that coming. Um, good this, one. I, I love it. I, I should have been ready for it. Um, this was this. Yeah. I mean, I was fine with it being two and a half hours. I really mm. enjoyed the film. And, you know, it, it was fairly successful that way. Yeah. But yeah. I think had they shaved off 20 minutes, mm. uh, they could have had a stronger film. Um, oh. a stronger yet shorter and slightly more focused film. I think that they allowed the the director allowed his mind to meander around a little bit too much. Well, and I think it's just the fun of the topic, you know, all that art deco, all that carny artwork. I think they had a lot of fun making the movie. Um, Scorsese has really, he wrote an article. He's been trying to push people to see it, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. And I guess because it wasn't doing that well. And he describes one of the things he says is it's a dead end universe from out of the American past. Yes, and that's, that's it. Very it's true, existential. Yeah. It's like Jean-Paul Sartre, which I think film noir back in the day was very inspired by um, existentialism. Um, and, uh, you know, it's like no exit. Everybody sucks in it, like Jim Thompson. Now, to me, it's very mm. difficult to watch this film without being instantly reminded of another film. Do you know what I'm going to I'm going to suggest? Sin City? No, not Sin City. Mm. The movie I'm going to suggest is Carol. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, first of all, when Kate Blanchett makes an appearance, she is <laughs> she is dressed 
and modeled exactly the same way that her character in Carol was. The same wave in the hair, the same lipstick, the same kind of way of carrying herself. I found that very striking. It's like, oh, she's doing Carol. And interestingly enough, the other female protagonist, Mm -hmm. Molly, Mm -hmm. is played by Rooney Mara. And who played Teresa in Carol? Rooney Mara. Yeah, that's funny. Isn't that interesting? Very fun. And with that kind of dark, where where Patricia Highsmith loves those psychopaths. Because this is a movie about a psychopath. And then other other psychopaths he meets along his uh, journey. And um, it's, um, you know, what's funny about the first film is that um, the first film and it, it bombed, but a lot of people, it, it's got a great cult following now. It's a classic uh, movie. And um, that director and actor, Tyrone Power, they made a movie the year before, one of my very favorite movies called The Razor's Edge. After the Second World War, it's a philosophical journey that this guy's on. And I guess they really liked working together and they were trying to do something different because those are two sem- very dark films and very thought provoking films. And Tyrone Power, I think he was in the Second World War. Um, one of the things, oh, I just wanted to, I didn't want to forget, you'll yeah, like ahead. this. So that who else watched that movie in 1947 are con artists. And con artists would, um, they got, it was considered a how-to movie. Oh, isn't that interesting? Yes. And so let's say you were a con artist and you ran into another con artist, you would say, hey, have you heard of me? I'm Stan Carlisle. So that the other Carl Arnest would know you can't pull one on me. I, I'm a con artist too. Oh, because the protagonist in uh, Nightmare, Nightmare Alley was uh, called uh, Stan Carlisle. Oh, I thought that's that was just very, a lot of fun. A lot of fun, right? Yeah. You know, I saw so many movies and a great, I've had a great couple of days of movies and documentaries. And it's funny because I, I watched The Power of the Dog. But Have can we, uh, can we, oh, yeah. sorry, yes, I didn't please. want to quite leave this yet. Yeah, I don't feel like we're leaving it. Go ahead. Okay, no, can it continue on? Yeah, no, go. Oh, I was going to say that, um, that another movie popped into my head as I was oh. watching it as well that we talked to, talked about oh. very recently. And that was, there is a remarkable carousel dance scene in, <laughs> in this <laughs> yeah. film. And the I first thought, thing I thought of yeah. was Strangers on the Train. Yes. Uh, yes, and the too. incredible filming of the carousel mm-hmm. scene on Strangers on the Train. And mm-hmm. I I can't help but think that the director was specifically making those allusions to other films. No, you wouldn't be a director if you didn't do that. You know what I mean? You, you wouldn't be a director worth anything if you didn't make those kind of yes. allusions. I absolutely agree with you. And that's that's all of the fun. So I think it was a great movie. I would give it nine out of 10 or eight out of 10. Yeah, I would, I would too. Yeah. I, I wanted to say for our listeners yeah. who haven't seen it, mm. the, the, at the heart of the game that the mentalists play is that everybody thinks they're unique and mm. that the core of their character um, is personal and secret. And what the mentalists know in this film is that um, everybody's the same. Everyone's haunted by someone, someone that they love and they hate. Um, that's usually a parent. And there's, they have this wonderful code to get into more and more specifics, but it's um, the success, his success as a mentalist is, is so much driven by this understanding of humanity, this code of humanity. Mm-hmm. And it's so good at times, both when Pete does it and when Stanton does it, that you have to ask the question, do they really have a power? 
Oh, definitely. I, I found myself thinking they were psychic myself. For sure. Absolutely. Um, and, and is it, I mean, could it be that they, Pete Stanton and Pete found one another because they had the same ability? Yeah, maybe. And that's maybe how he found um, Kate Blanchett because she's running her con. Of being Isn't a she though? Yes. And they're yes. saying a psychiatrist. Yes, and she's a psychiatrist and she has yeah. recordings of mm-hmm. all the deep dark secrets of, mm-hmm. uh, of all the elite. Right. And she's charging money for it and telling, treating people as if they are definitely unique and special. Not that people aren't special. They are, but we have way more in common with each other than differences. And the con artist knows that we don't know that. <laughs> That's, it's a great point, Eugene. Now, yeah, I had a lot of fun watching it. My, my other question yeah. is, is this, does this fall squarely into the B-movie tradition that it's very respectful of, or is it a different kind of movie that alludes to the B-movie tradition? Do, well, do you see the difference I, I'm getting at? I do. And it, you know what? I, I wrote down in some of my notes for today about the movie we watched, which I've completely forgot. Was it called In the Dead of Night or something? It was a black and white movie made as an homage to 50s movies. Remember the girl? They had the oh. radios and all that. The oh, with tech? the UFO. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I, for that was reason, a wonderful, quirky I love that movie. movie, huh? A wonderful movie, low budget. And um, I can't help but feel, you know, that... Um, I mean, they had all the budget in the world for this and, and they used every minute of it to make those beautiful sets. And also Toronto's in it a few times. Oh, yes, indeed, including the waterworks. Our waterworks. Yes, yes. when I saw it, I thought, it's the waterworks. It has That's to be That's right. It was the waterworks. I took some screenshots to share on our social media. But also, you know, that waterworks is in one of my other favorite movies, Strange Brew. <laughs> <laughs> that's Elsinore where they make the beer I don't know if you remember that or not yeah they totally use the waterworks to make the beer that's supposed to be the brewery and you know what Elsinore is right it's the castle yes, where Hamlet yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, oh yeah so I, I thought that was it's funny that I didn't know what day they were announcing the Oscars and I so the last few days I just happened to watch like I watched The Power of the Dog and it's also nominated, and it is a fucking amazing film. Is it? I have not seen oh. that one yet. I think I could see it on Netflix or something. You can see it on Netflix. I think it was always originally, I think it was in the theater and on Netflix. And I'm going to feel a little bit concerned about the timeline. This is a very slow movie, but uh. it is freaking gorgeous. Did you like There Will Be Blood? Oh, yeah. Because it really, well, I consider There Will Be Blood a pretty slow movie, and it was like two and a half hours long, something like that. It was a yeah. very long movie. Well, you know, I don't have a... I don't have a quarrel with long yeah. movies. Yeah. What I have a quarrel with is long movies that should be shorter movies. I agree that would be with more you. successful as shorter yes. movies gotcha. that just have an editing problem. Good, That's what you. I quarrel with. I like that. Okay, so this is a this is a probably a two hour movie, and um, but it's fantastic. I I don't really want to say too much because you can't. It's Jane Campion, and you either love her or hate her. I happen to love her, but I didn't think I was going to watch it because I thought it was going to be too sad. And I was very nervous about having um, a sad movie. And in fact, I thought Nightmare Alley was going to be a a tragedy. Um, I don't think the trailers did anyone any favors for the Nightmare Alley. I wasn't particularly attracted to it. I thought they should do it straight up noir. And I just didn't feel the trailers I saw did that. But Power of the Dog. The trailers should have had the contortionist. Oh yeah, for sure. What a what a what a great character that was. Amazing, and those and I just love how fun to make the carny. It must have been so much fun to be oh, hanging out there 
they could have because they could just brainstorm up ideas. Yeah. Um, that there was for our listeners who haven't seen it, there's the, the character of Molly, she works with electricity. Mm-hmm. And Stanton designs her an electric chair, mm-hmm. and so and so her act is getting fried by the electric chair yeah. night after night after yeah. night, and it's so realistic because it's like lightning shoots through her body right. and everything. It's right, yeah, it's, it's really so good. Well, Power of the Dog, you'll like this. It's set in Montana. Now, not all of it is filmed there. It's filmed in Canada and Australia. But there's definitely some vibe there of Montana. She found the right places to do this. She made the piano. I don't know if you ever saw that. I think I avoided that one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's, she made a Henry James, a Wings of the Dove, or no. Port- I can't remember. And who is she? Jane Campion. Okay. And she's just an incredible filmmaker. One of the things I love about this is that, you know, you watch these Westerns come out and well, you liked Meek Mill and it's got that vibe in it too. It's definitely um, a Meek Mill vibe. So um, it's a revisionist um, Western where finally the gentle take over the Western. And um, it's pretty cool. It's a very, very good movie. I think I'll wait and see if you ever see it. Um, Anybody listening? I've heard mixed reviews. People either love it or hate it. I will try um, to see it this week. I and we can talk about it, it next week. And then the my very favorite movie that I've watched in the last few days was Ghostbusters Afterlife. It blew away everything. Sheila loved it too. She loved it's it. It's so well, fucking yeah. good. I can't even stand it. Um, you'll love it. It's a coming of age story. Um, <laughs> they th- you know when they did the Ghostbusters with women? Um, yeah. I saw that in the theater and it, it just didn't work. And what was really hard to see was that the best part about Ghostbusters women was the guy in the movie. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> he was so funny. Chris Hemsworth <laughs> saved the movie. Um, there was definitely some energy and, and parts about the female Ghostbusters. It was OK, but they actually found the right way to do it this time. They had a 12 year old girl and you just can't get much better than that. And her brother and her angry mother and the oddball kid at school. And um, everything just comes together. It's absolutely beautiful. Every moment of the film is perfection. And it might be two hours. It could have been a week. I wouldn't have cared. I would have kept watching it. Um, The son of the fellow that passed away, Harold Ramos, he made this film. And um, I, I just... I just loved it for one on one level because here you have all the generations of kids right now that they want to get into that old tech. You know, they want old record players and they want to, mm. you, you know, make a violin, let's say, or a fiddle. Because <laughs> you're just like one of those hipster kids. And they want to do it themselves, I go right? To, I go to older tech, please. Yes, older tech. So what it is, is this is all older tech because they um, the, the, their grandfather dies and they land up having to go get rid of his house in the middle of nowhere. And it's just a magical building. It's a beat up Victorian house in, in the middle of a farm field with all kinds of gadgets and the kids get right into it. What a beautiful, insane movie. They've cast everyone perfectly. It's so much fun. I just can't recommend it enough. So and I cried about? my, it's about Ghostbusters. You and I saw Ghostbusters in the theater. Well, yes, I understand. I understand yeah. the, the Ghostbusters well, one of the Ghostbusters has specifically, died. Specifically, one about? of the Ghostbusters has died and their grandkids and daughter move into this house. And of course, he's got all the equipment there. And what happens is the reason he moved there was because something's going on in the town that it never ended in New York City. It went further. The guy who built the building in New York City with all the supernatural powers, he actually lived in a cryogenic tent 
course a tank yeah. in, um, I don't know if they were in Ohio or sure. Iowa yeah. or Montana. They're in the Midwest. And, um, you know, basically they just start finding out all this mysterious stuff that happens in this house. So it's like a haunted house story. It's a ghost story. It's a coming of age story. And it's done with so much love. And I've also can't think of when I ever saw. Now, Stag said in Blade Runner 2049, they brought Elvis to life. Well, in this movie, they bring Harold back, one of the Ghostbusters who passed away about five years ago. They bring him back in CGI as a ghost. And I fucking bawled my eyes out. I can't imagine anybody in the theater not loving every minute of it. And I can't think of when would that be? The best part is, is that, you know, they used to talk about, oh, we can put Marilyn Monroe and Humphrey Bogart in a movie again. And the, the ethics of that was that they've played already. Why do we have to bring them back in and put them like two-pack concert again or something, right? Or Bob Marley and no, hologram. Don't, don't even get me started. Well, that's what I'm saying. So this is I the just, first I mean, time. I, the idea of going to see the holograph of, of Bob Marley is just so, I mean, you might as well do that, like have him perform in, in the virtual Van Gogh, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, it's like come up with something new, not besides the tech. Okay. Yes. Yes. Like we I, get I there's the you. tech now. Uh, yeah. So I hear now you. make up a new story. Well, this was interesting because it's his son, so it's not for some other people doing it. It was their decision, done with love, in a beloved film, and it it, it was everything was right. Everything was right. It was so beautiful, and the twelve year old um, girl, they never say it, but she. She has many of the traits of autism. So there's a lot of good things about that. You know, um, I've mentioned here before that Dan Aykroyd is autistic, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was kind of a neat tie in there. They never say she is. But if you know anything about autism, you're going to recognize things about her, uh, her personality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, cool. you know, Sheila saw that on another go night. Wow. Oh, yeah. I don't play go constantly. <laughs> I didn't say that I made but that was another texting. time that coincidentally yes. she went out to a movie while I played Go. Right. And she came back and was just raving about it. Oh, I'm and so I happy thought, to hear that. I thought it was like Ghostbusters 24. I mean, you went to see this, but sometimes, she, she says it was great. And you're saying it's great. So yeah. I, I I'm I, I'm a believer. I just had every minute, it was just, and Steg that thought it was fantastic too. I think Steg thought I was a little mental when I was crying so much. <laughs> it's a Ghostbuster movie. It's a comedy, but you know, I think you had to be there. <laughs> um, oh my God. It was so good. I mean, it, it's just the feel good, wonderful movie of the year. I wish I'd seen it in the theater. Um, doesn't matter. I watched the other day and loved every second of it. It was so good. I, it was the unexpected great movie. I'm just drinking my wine now. I've moved from my nice hot tea to my cold wine. All right. You know, I'm I had a, with my scotch. I had so many notes last week that I we didn't even get to it because we were so busy. But, you know, I went to the Art Institute and saw a show. Oh, what did you see? I saw Ray Johnson. Do you know Our who Ray that Johnson? is? Yeah. No, not Canadians Ray Johnson. Oh, it's okay. a guy who was um, from Detroit and um, moved to New York City in 1946. Can you just imagine what that would be like? Wow, yeah. Just everyone was there, all the cool kids, right? <laughs> and so he was there and he studied art and he is known for being a male artist or a new data, neo data, a collagist, pop art, performance art, 
He wasn't a member of Fluxus, but he was, you know, connected to it. And um, it's all collage. And it's just a stunning exhibition at wow. the Art Institute. I, I would love a, to see that because oh, I've been Eugene. lost in collage for really the last, well, through the pandemic, I've, I've yeah. made numerous books of collages. I, I've made hundreds of them. So I'm always fascinated with how other people deal with cut and paste. Totally. Um, yeah, they're just beautiful. Um, and they still seem kind of contemporary. It's weird. You know, they're old because the color choices, the paper's faded. And yet mm -hmm. they have a feeling of, of being just as interesting today. Um, he did a bunch of um, collages on Elvis and Marilyn well before our friend Andy Warhol did. Um, he, yeah, isn't it? Um, and I think they're peers. I think they were, you know, they would have known each other. He was gay and um, he hung out with, um, you know, lots of, who did he hang out with? He went to um, school in um, North Carolina and John Cage was there, Joseph Albers, Merce Cunningham. Robert Motherwall, Will, William de Kooning. So I always he, imagine that Joseph Albers was European. Is he not? I don't know. I could I, be completely wrong. I, I don't, don't know, know anything. That. Well, he was teaching. Well, he could have been. Uh, he was. He was teaching when he was teaching I at that college. Right, but he was teaching at the college. He was probably brought in. Uh, probably to North Car to Black Mountain College, or was it what was it called? Something like that. Um, it's a famous art college. He went uh, and he went to studied art um, through Detroit, through the Arts and the Art Institute of Chicago, like in um, Michigan. So he 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 had a classical training. And have you ever seen the? I wonder if you've seen the document How to Draw Like a, a Bunny. Oh. oh, it's an amazing movie. Um, a documentary. I don't know where I saw it. I saw it probably in two thousand and eight. Um, excellent, excellent about the life of Ray Johnson. So it was really fun to see this very comprehensive um, collection of his collages. And then they had boxes of his mail art and envelopes and drawings. I mean, oh my cool. God, he did I a bet lot. I Stag was in heaven seeing that. He he's going on Thursday. I had to go by myself. Oh, I, see. I crammed it in last week so I would have content. <laughs> and then we didn't even talk about it. So I'm ahead of the game on content. Um, yeah, he couldn't well, go that's, at that's the last we minute. Had, we had Charlie and Pat were so generous with their time. Yes. Well, it was, it was at some point in there, just trying to keep up with, I, I really also knew I needed to go see some art. It was kind of an emergency thing. I was like, I need to see art in person and get downtown. Sure. And it was a shitty day. I just, it didn't matter. I forced myself to get on the subway and go on the train. Um, so I recommend how to draw a bunny about him. And then I'll share a bunch of pictures on, um, on Facebook. He, he killed himself though. Just, that's a bummer part oh, of the story. Sad. Yeah, I didn't remember that from the documentary. I must have blocked it out. And he killed himself related to a lot of weird numbers. Like he, uh, number 13, the day he picked, things added up to 13. So he was really in a mood. So it's considered as maybe being part of his performance art. David oh, yeah. Bowie did that with Dark Star. He had all those videos come out and planned and he must have known he was leaving when he, um, he called it yeah, Dark Star. Yeah, that's not quite the same thing. No, he didn't kill himself. You're right. He did not kill himself. Um, and he just and, you managed know, to he just managed to take advantage of his yes his own current condition. Yes, uh, in yes. His art. Yeah, he, he and he didn't hide it. He was he put it into his art. Um, some of our friends in England they love the Manic Street Preachers, and they have a song called Locust Valley, and that's a reference to Ray Johnson. There's a Canadian band called Women, and um, they also make a bunch of references in their music to Ray Johnson. Hmm. Uh, and um, so does John Cale has a song called Hey Ray. And that's about him. 
So I recommend looking into them to anybody out there who hasn't seen them. I'm so sure must that- be R-A-Y as opposed to yes. R-A-E, which is yes. I think how our Ray Johnson mm-hmm. spells her name. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Adamandia has been down to the Art Institute to see him. Well, I don't know. I'm, I Maybe she'll let us know. It was a great show. Great, great, great show. You know, the other night I was got off work and sometimes there's a friend of mine works across the street at an Italian private club. And um, I get to go in. I'm not a member, but because I'm pals with her, I'll go in and stop and have a drink. So I have a couple of drinks. And I guess time went by. I mean, I think I only had three or four drinks, let's say. But I called an Uber. It was, very, it was cold out, so I wasn't going to walk home. I go out to get the Uber, and I reach for the Uber, and I'm touching it. I can't open the handle. I'm like, oh, my God, I must be really loaded or something. And I'm rubbing my hand on the car, and the, the driver rolls down the window. And I said, what is this, a Tesla? <laughs> and she said, yes. <laughs> I had a Tesla pick me up. At 3.30 in the morning, driven by a woman in the south side. I mean, it's just everything wrong about that. But I hop in. Well, you know, you have to be working the Uber in order to pay off the Tesla. Right. Well, I only cost like 100 grand. Have you ever been in one? No. Neither have I. It's out of my stack bracket. Well, I have never been in one either. I'm going to tell you, it was a profound experience. I mean, it just felt like I was... I can't relate it to anything. I know it was a moving vehicle, privately driven. That was about the only thing I felt was like a car. Really? Well, what was different than a car? Every bit of the feeling of it was completely, I'm telling you. What were the materials? The material was a bit shocking. It was vegan. So I think she might have, and I don't know if that's a policy with Tesla, if they make the seats vegan, Um, plastic, you know, um, Nagahide. Um, I don't know. So in in the past, we Mm -hmm. would say it's plastic made, made um, through uh, the oil industry, destroying the the universe's carbon footprint and all that sort of stuff. Uh, But now we call it vegan. Well, I would say it might be plastic or naga hide or vegan because it didn't feel like leather. I was trying to feel it. Right. Because I was like, everything in me was off. Like I said, I couldn't open up the door handle. And I don't even know how I landed up opening. I don't know if she reached over and helped me in or what, because I couldn't find out how the handle worked. And I think it was like you push it and it pops out. So it wasn't that weird. It's just that it was so unexpected. But inside the car drove very differently. I also had no idea that it, there's no gasoline in it. Well, it is an electric car. Right, but there's tons of electric cars that are all, I guess, they're hybrids. They're hybrids. Yeah, I didn't realize this was completely gas free and it goes 300 miles because i was like well how far can i drive 300 miles well that was the same as my volkswagen cabrio so when i was in montana you know i was like filling up no matter what sure except that if you're in montana and you get to that gas station they may not have a place for you to plug in i would say never i would never recommend anyone drives a tesla to montana or wyoming ever i I expect one day that will be der rigor but it's not yeah. there yet yeah anyway it was just funny that this car ride was insane and the sound was different you know what it felt like um and i i when i say it was a profound experience i don't mean good or bad i just mean that i was completely i had nothing i just couldn't feel like it was all new i was like in the future that's what it felt like oh my god i'm in the future <laughs> and you know what it felt like it was weird this is not a good thing it felt like one of those pair of running shoes you buy that is it feels too light. They're $200, but they don't have any substance to them of weight. And you feel uncomfortable spending $200 on something that 
you know, at that point, you feel like you should have leather boots or something. Hmm. Anyway, well, it was a beautiful a whole, fucking car. There is a whole kind of stream of the footwear industry um, that's all about having footwear which um, keeps as much contact from your natural shape of your foot and your actual <laughs> feet to the ground so that like it looks like almost like your feet are wearing like a mesh glove. Oh, like those toe shoes. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. a thing, you know. Those are supposed to be good for you. And they also have toe spreaders. I have toe spreaders. It's like a yoga exercise. Um, yeah, you're supposed to have your toes wide open. And that would be a natural, healthy stance, apparently. I don't know if you've ever gone to one of those shoe places that you're talking of. They really make you feel like you're doing everything wrong. It's like going to the Scientologist building. Mm -hmm. on Here's the thing. I'm going to tell you the story of, of having size 14 feet. <laughs> if I go to a shoe place, as you call it, you could pick one. You could pick the one. And mm -hmm. I would go in there and the salesperson would come up to me and say, can I help you, sir? And I would say, um, what do you have in a wide thir wide 14? <laughs> Like, I don't even anything. start with style. I'm looking right. for sneakers. Sure. Sure. I just start with what have you got in your store in right. a wide 14? And the salesperson will look at me like I'm from Mars because I would ask such a question yeah. instead of telling her what I was interested in. Right. And I would send her to the back and she would, she'll come out in three minutes with one pair of the ugliest shoes ever manufactured <laughs> in the history of ever. Well, that, that will be a suck. 14, but it's a 14 made somewhere where a 14 is really a nine and it wouldn't fit me. Right. And so I've learned that this podcaster doesn't buy shoes <laughs> any longer in shoe stores. Oh, do you just That's, order them? I I just order them. That's, That's a smart idea. Because the first thing is, if I go online search, doing searches for my size right. 14 shoes, I get way better selection than in any individual shoe store where all I ever get is disappointment. And I always feel shamed because I have big clodhopper feet. I love it. I love it. Yes, love that it. foot shaming. Foot shaming. I know. Well, that I'm glad that's a good idea that you order online. That's so smart. I do. And You're I find a needle in the haystack. Yeah. I think cool. if I've ordered a number of pairs of shoes over the years. I think I've had one pair that didn't work out too well for me, but mm. almost all of them have been great. Mm. Cool. Yeah. I've been watching a lot of documentaries. Yeah, I and tried to, I tried to watch one of the ones that you, you mentioned. Well, it fits with Nightmare Alley because I of watched, con artists. Yeah, I guess. Sheila and I tried to watch Tinder Swindler. Mm. But, you know, I don't want to say this because, <laughs> I mean, for the uh -oh, women who maybe were you duped, shouldn't say for it. the women who were duped, it was a, a horrible situation. Mm. But, you know, this con man it was like, he's really an everyday run of the mill kind of con man. Like mm -hmm. there's nothing all that special about him, except he goes to different countries. Mm -hmm. But it just seemed to me to be kind of a ho-hum true crime doc. The, the story wasn't compelling enough. And that's what I, I, I hate to say it because their grief seems very real. Although one of the, one of the women, when, when she was doing her interview, she was so full of smiles talking about it. Oh, she was amazing. She, she was, was like amazing. really she, happy. He's like, she's really happy about well, this she, horrible situation where she got swindled. Yeah. I, I, I felt like maybe we had, um, I wasn't sure, you know, some people smile when it's, um, 
when it's inappropriate. Some people mm. laugh when it's inappropriate. I thought she might have that actually, whatever that is. Um, but she was actually very entertaining to me. She stayed, she stayed throughout the whole podcast. I mean, a podcast, I mean, documentary. Yeah. Tinder swindler. It's hard to say. Um, it's so funny because in the first few seconds, as soon as they show the guy, he is the smarmiest looking man on the planet. Like he just reeks of the oil is falling off of him. Like his, just his attitude. <laughs> yes, exactly. it, the snake oil is just hanging in the air around him. Yes, so, I know. I thought the same thing. He's like, you got duped in by this guy? However, don't underestimate the feeling of, of wanting love and feeling lonely and okay. how tricky these guys are. That's the problem. And That's why you, it's so important they did the documentary, I think. You know, I know people who use Tinder mm -hmm. um, and are very happy with their Tinder right. experiences. Right, and but they're we don't mostly get people, mm. it, Those people are mostly people who aren't looking for relationships. They're looking for a fun night of sex. Thanks, Eugene. Thanks. I'm glad that we know what Tinder is. <laughs> yes, you're right. But I mean, like, um, like, like the, at least the people that I know that have been happiest about Tinder are people who go there to hook up, right? Sure. As opposed to people who go there to find relationships. Well, I think that you might be correct on that, and that might be true. But Although I think that, that's it. I, I mean, I know people who are married who met online as well, so yeah. I shouldn't poo-poo that. Don't poo-poo because people do people do meet one another online and, right. and fall in love and all and, like that. And you're very lucky. You you're in a relationship. You're confident. It is easy to forget what it feels I am, like. To I be am single. very lucky because I have such poor social <laughs> skills that if if uh, Sheila didn't mercifully stick with me, I would be just a very lonely guy. Well, there you go. So I think that that you know, let's just try to remember we're not single, and it's easy to forget what it's like to be. Oh, I would want I, I, wanna, totally I would not want to be yeah. single and looking for anybody right now i am yes. so glad i'm not and me too sure and so, also you know it is very easily taken in when somebody's giving you the things that you hope for yes but it also sounds let, let's i just want to clear this up so the, the the documentary talks about three or four women and it interviews them who get taken in by this guy who's a, a son of a million billionaire in israel in the diamond business in the diamond business and he is very forceful and woos them he takes this woman out. She's Finnish, I think, Finnish or Swedish. And he takes her on this date and he puts her on an aircraft and she's like, oh my God, am I going to get murdered? Well, they go on this jet and they party for two days. And she's like, geez, maybe I shouldn't be, um, I should be more open to this. Why not? You know, my grandmother used to say, it's just as easy to fall in love with a rich guy as it is a poor guy. <laughs> so maybe she was like, I should try that. So I have a feeling, even though he wasn't my type, I mean, I don't know whose type he is. I didn't find him attractive or it was the, it was the creepy sales pitch look on his face. I just felt like he was a liar, but that doesn't mean he wasn't very good at lying to them. He was a liar and he's very good. So let's just assume that he really gave them what they wanted. Wonderful company um, built up their morale or shared all kinds of fun things. And he was really good company. What he lands up doing is after three or four months, he tells them that he's into trouble. He's being stalked or, Something well, he's right. got they, these could enemies. I have your credit cards? I've got these enemies. Can you lend me thirty thousand dollars? So, to the women's credit, they weren't just gold diggers because I think a lot of people thought that these women seem to have money. 
I couldn't get you, I couldn't get anybody $30,000 if they needed it tomorrow. She was able to go and either get a credit card or a bank loan and get $30,000. I'd be lucky if yeah. I could get five bucks. I, I think the 30,000 was the first time. And the second time he was running into trouble. And if he could only use her credit cards for a while. Yes. Um, yes. Know, does she have an Amex? That would be fine. Mm-hmm. And what he, we don't know until we find out later is he's doing it with like 10, 15 women. Yes. So her first date was paid by somebody else. He got to give him a credit card. And the date before that, it's basically they clever. Got, it's very clever. clever. At some point, she finds out that this is happening, that he's not who she thought he was. And um, she finds the cops and a journalist. And the journalist starts going through the bank notes of all these, these women. He's looking through their bank and he realizes this is a Ponzi scheme. He can see the dates lining up. So eventually they start tracking down some of the other women to see if they can get together and, and catch this guy. Um, at, they do. They put out um, a podcast or uh, they get a news. This journalist writes an article that breaks news in Europe. And next thing you know, you see another woman. Very, They're all very attractive. And she's living in, I want to say Amsterdam. And she sees this article online about her boyfriend. He's in the pictures. They are, they're engaged. They have a, you know, they have a dog. They go for walks on the bike. Everything seems normal to her in her life. And she texts him like, what's this article? And sends him the article. But she's on, getting onto an aircraft to go home. And so she puts her phone on airplane, reads the article. And when she's landing, she realizes her life is over because he's not who she thought he was. As soon as she lands, he's texting her like crazy. Don't believe it. That's a bullshit. My enemies have made that story. So it gets quite um, in depth. You know what I liked about it, Eugene, was they didn't have a lot to work with in terms of telling a documentary, Mm -hmm. but they worked with the texts and the pictures and the videos on their phones to tell a lot of the story. And I thought it was very successful. There's also another um, con artist movie on there called The Puppet Master, also on Netflix. And I got, I don't know, I just went down this train of con art. Um, I do find it fascinating. So this guy in maybe the 80s or 90s, he's in, he works in a pub. And um, then there's a couple of students. They interview these students. And they were going to school in this nice little town in England. And he goes to the pub and there's been a, some bombs going off maybe in Ireland and the guy in the bar goes oh I'm I work for the um Interpol uh if you know that guy that was involved in this you have to come with me so he gets these three students to go in a car and take off for their safety he basically convinces them that he's a spy and he has to have their help and they have to hide for a couple of weeks and they hide and everything's cool they're probably having some nice dinners and hiding out in a house and driving around. It wasn't probably that bad at first. Has he told people he's kidnapped them? No. He's told them he's a spy and he's keeping them safe. And they're going to help each other and they can't go out because they will be killed now that they know this information. Blah, blah, blah. I'm I'm blowing the story, but it's enough of the story. I guess they're 20 years old and for whatever reason, they freaking believe this guy. And after a while, like Manson, he just programmed them. And they believe him. This one woman was with him for 10 years. Her life was ruined. She spent all, and they all had trust funds. So he obviously knew what he was doing. He made friends with these um, well-off students that had trust funds and bled their parents, um, the inheritance and whatever they were getting from their families out. At least a million dollars. When I grow up, I want a trust fund. 
<laughs> I mean, don't you? I guess it's pretty hard to feel sorry for people who are well off. It's true. Um, and gullible. And, uh, you know, may, I also think that maybe I, I know you and I are a lot more cynical on all these things. Maybe we've seen a lot when in Toronto or something. We just saw a lot of like bad behavior. And so we couldn't possibly um, get involved in it or believe it. Um, I listened to a podcast called Sweet Bobby. Get this. A woman has friends on Facebook. They're all part of a Sikh community. You can see their pictures on Facebook. Okay. Um, one fellow texts her and says, I'm sorry, I had to tell you about my brother died. And she goes, oh, I'm so sorry. They, they text back and forth for a couple of months. Life goes on, maybe in a year. She hears that he's very, very sick. They start texting each other on Facebook. This goes on for 10 years. For the last three years they were texting, they were madly in love but they never met in person. I don't know how you do that. I can understand for a month or two, definitely. I can definitely well, eventually imagine. You would, you would want to meet, I would think. Exactly. So when he's in the hospital, she wants to come and see him. He's like, don't come and see me. You can't possibly see me. Now I have to go work here. Now I have to go do that. And I don't know why she believed it so strongly, but she did. Then... She goes and finds out so where he an, lives. Sorry, is this an example of what we talked about a couple of weeks ago called catfishing? Yes. Okay. Yes. Hey, hey. see, I'm up on those hip That's terms right. now. That's yeah. right. It is part of catfishing. All right. Because you've already figured out maybe this guy isn't who he says he is. Yes. So where I don't know why we know that, but this poor woman didn't know. And she was a, 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 a reporter and a journalist on a major Sikh a TV network. Um, and it's, she it's describes this thing, but often people who are duped or conned are people who are very smart. Wow. I didn't know that. Well, thank God for my stupidity. <laughs> people who in all other aspects are very smart. They Interesting. Just need, you just need to have the vulnerability. There's oh, and they don't have, and maybe they don't have the street smarts. See, that's the thing. I've known some assholes. So I think that's the difference. Um, so she's, she somehow finds out that he's married and living somewhere in Bristol. She drives for four hours, knocks on his door. He answers the door and he doesn't know what the hell she's talking about. She goes, you told me you loved me. And he's like, what? And she goes, you, you've lied to me all this time. She has a kind of a breakdown. He calls the police and she says, please do, because you've been bullshitting me all these years. Um, they've laid in bed and talked for three hours on the phone. But it's not him. Well, apparently not, because he's saying, I don't have any clue. This is my wife and my family. She thinks he's doing it to cover in front of the wife right. when she's on the door. And so she leaves, cries all the way home. Writes her cousin on Facebook and says, you just got to come and talk to me. I found out. I went and confronted him. And he's not who I thought he was. He didn't even, he pretended he didn't know me. The cousin shows up and she goes, she's late. She's supposed to be there an hour earlier. She's very late. And she's just, the woman who's been duped is crying. Cousin comes in and she goes, look, I'm sorry. I had to talk to my parents. It was all me. It was the cousin, her 10, her 19 year old cousin played a trick being this guy for 10 years. Oh, wow. And she was talking to her female cousin on the phone in lovey dovey for three hours. Now, why would someone do that? I mean, it's bad and enough that she was gullible, but why would this cousin do that to her? It's really sick. Turns out she's done it to somebody else before. 
podcast. Very weird. Very twisted. Yeah. So on this podcast, this podcast was so good, but I couldn't help but feel like, how could you not know that was your cousin? Then second of all, they get a professional in there who does profiling. He said, it's called the dark triad of sociopath, malignant, and something else. And that this person maybe gets off on controlling somebody like that. Is that creepy or what? Very creepy. I know. So this was all in the past week. I've been listening to these amazing con artist stories. Um, The best one though, Eugene, and I think you're going to love it. You got to watch it. It's called Lords of Scam. And it just is like the party version of all this. These guys (laughs) figure out they're great. They're French, but they actually are having fun. Like nobody else in these stories is actually having any fun. Like the, the college students that were kidnapped were sleeping on the floor of barns or something, right? And running away in the middle of the night, no food, starving to death. Well, th- these guys are having a ball. There's a group of guys. They find a trader. They're, they're working on something. They figure out when the France introduces a carbon tax, they notice there's a loophole in it. So they start selling carbon tax and they made something like $300 million <laughs> and it's illegal. And, and they're just this guy, the personality that they interview, he is so compelling. <laughs> he's just fantastic. He's horrible. He's probably a bad guy, but you can't help but kind of feel for him. Like, well done guy. He's really like the charming con artist. Great. And he's a part you know, he, he kind of denies it. He went to prison for seven years. It's hard not to watch a film called Lords of Scam. I know. What a good it's, name. I mean, huh? that's the title that says Turn Me On Now. I, that's what happened to me. I was like, I think I have to watch this. <laughs> but it was the winner. Out of all of them, it was the most fun because the people were a little bit more entertaining. They weren't like innocent college students or poor women in Finland and gorgeous supermodels getting ripped off. This, this And I feel bad for them. I understood the women's pain because, you know, sometimes you date a schmuck. But you only date him. You don't give him your money. One time I was dating this guy and somehow I ended up going to the drugstore and I bought his medication. It was $80. I never got that $80 back. And I was like, that I'm over it. <laughs> that really killed the love buzz. <laughs> and, it, you know, it, and it, you know, it's so funny. I'm lucky he didn't get me doing other things. Because I did feel like afterwards, I did feel like you were a con artist. <laughs> so that was a lot of fun you got to see the lords of scam really i mean i think they should make a movie out of it like the big short it really has that kind of energy like a fictionalized a fictional yeah. a fictionalized version for sure it's well, so good yeah it's the the problem with those true crime docs is sometimes they fall into that true crime doc pattern yeah and, you know just like insert new plot twist here <laughs> Right. It's true. a new new reality, new scam, new murder, new something. But they're they're all a lot of them are I don't want to generalize too much, but a lot of them are are very similar in yeah. terms of, of the format. Yeah, that's true. And I, I guess though that's because you've got to have the detective, you've got to have the mark well, and, and the past. Plus it's a good format. It's a good you format. Know, I was thinking the other the other day. Um, that you know all those late night talk shows mm-hmm. that are all kind of based on the Johnny Carson kind sure. of model sure. or the Jack Parr kind of model. Uh, we still do the same the same structure. 
right? Mm-hmm. Where the lot you have the live audience, you have the live band, you have the monologue, you have the silly desk with the seats beside mm-hmm. it, and mm-hmm. and everybody has their own kind of variation of it. Mm-hmm. But so many of those shows still carry on the very same tradition of having that format, That's doing true. up that format. And That's it's kind true. of, I mean, it's kind of reassuring to us. We'd like to have the sameness. True. I can think of two examples that try to push it. First of all, uh, his whole career was pushing that. He still had the desk and the chairs, but David Letterman, that's why he was amazing, was he was constantly demystifying it. Even though well, yes, he, he still had the, the genre. Of he course subverted he did, yes. the genre, yeah. But the other guy that um, I really liked, and I used to watch him religiously, was Andy Cohen uh, on Bravo. He had his clubhouse. So he brought all his favorite, it's like if you and I, actually decided to film our podcast we probably put all our favorite things behind us he does that he's got like a share doll he's got a, a a bright light thing you know all his little kitschy stuff from his house he has behind him in this set that looks like it's and it's called the clubhouse and um he kind of made it a little bit more fun too now he's almost like standard it's it's mainstream but at first i was like this is so refreshing and they drank cocktails they had a bartender that's kind of similar. yeah it was a lot of well, fun you, i mean you have to find some ways of working the format if you're mm-hmm. still going to use it at all mm-hmm. it's true 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 Speaking true of format yes we haven't done a comfort food diner segment in a while no i was going to try and make a pudding but i haven't had a chance <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I made something the other day and I thought it's worth talking about because Great. it's quick and easy and super yummy. Um, and that is, I made a cast iron skillet cornbread. Oh, yummy. Very so good. good. So good. Two versions. Okay. The version that involves bacon <laughs> and the other version. That's a good version. <laughs> the one that involves bacon, um, you start with your cast iron pan and you chop up more bacon than you know you need because you like it. Yes. You and might want to snack on it while you're cooking. That's exactly right. As it crisps up, you want to have extra to snack on. And you, and I know two other people that would like that too. Okay. Four-legged people. Oh, well, yes. Indeed. <laughs> uh, so I, I'll cook the bacon until mm-hmm. it's quite crisp. And then I'll take it out and set aside my pan mm-hmm. and put my oven on to 400 Fahrenheit. Mm. Get it ready. And then you need two bowls. <coughs> like with baking almost anything, you need two bowls. You need one for your dry, one for your wet. And your ingredients are, and you can vary. And I know you're not supposed to vary baked things. No, no. But. <laughs> Well, you can get away with it. I can't. Okay. So the recipe I made uses a cup and a quarter of cornmeal and three quarters cup of all-purpose flour. I've made it with a cup of cornmeal and a cup of flour. Mm-hmm. I've made it with like a cup and a half and a half. I, so long as you have the total amount of cornmeal and flour, you can vary that. No problem. Uh, you can have sugar in it. And I think it's a philosophical discussion in the cornbread community uh, as to do you have sugar and how much sugar you use? Mm -hmm. I use a little bit of sugar. I'll use about less than a quarter cup of of sugar. Salt, two teaspoons of baking powder, a half teaspoon of baking soda. But 
although you're never supposed to vary that. If you were to look for recipes for skillet cornbread, you'll see that varied. Mm -hmm. Anywhere from one teaspoon and one and one to, you know, two and a half or two and one, whatever. Uh, you need a cup of buttermilk and a third of a cup of milk. But if you use all buttermilk, the whole Oops. milk police aren't going to get you. And okay. if you don't have buttermilk and you just use milk, just don't tell anyone. <laughs> um, or, or squeeze half a lemon into uh, a cup of milk and you, mm. have, uh, you have an approximation of buttermilk. Uh, quite handy. It works fairly well. Uh, two eggs, melted butter, um, the bacon, and I also like to have some frozen niblets corn. Really? Just to yeah. put the texture in there? Yeah. So you cook, you cook your bacon, you set it aside, you mix up your dry ingredients, and I use um, the most sophisticated of appliances. Um, we call it a fork. Well. You mix the dry ingredients. And then I mix the wet ingredients. Do I use a food processor? Don't tell anyone. I use a spatula. Okay. Top I mix secret. my wet ingredients. I beat my eggs lightly with a fork. <laughs> um, then I add my wet to my dry. And I mix it together with my spatula. And I, that includes some bacon. And it includes mm -hmm. some corn. Now, the other version is the same, except that um, because you haven't cooked the bacon, you have to melt a bunch of butter into your pan. Mm. Um, because what we're going to do is we're going to cook the cornbread in the bacon fat in the pan. Mm. And so we're going to take that, that pan that has the bacon fat and we're going to put it in the oven 400 degrees and leave it there for 10 minutes until it is so hot. And when you take it out, that uh, and pour your batter in, it's gonna sizzle as it goes mm -hmm. into that, uh, that skillet. And as well, the pork fat from the bacon is gonna make the edges of the, the bottom and the edges really super yummy, crispy with just that hint of bacon flavor. And in case you miss that, you have a few little crumbled up bits of bacon along with the corn in the cornbread and takes 12 minutes mm -hmm. to make, it is, it maybe takes 10 minutes to prepare, super easy, very simple ingredients, absolutely yummy. If you're gonna make, for instance, a chili, mm -hmm. I highly recommend the skillet cornbread with the chili. Right, that does go well, good, good with it. That's funny, today I was reading, remember I, I, I was reading the book Chewing the Fat and um, from fascism to Dolce Vita. And um, I'm fascinated, I've been following um, the woman who wrote that book, Karima, Moyers Nochi, I think that's how I say her name, Moyer Nochi. She had a recipe that in the book, Chewing the Fat, on her um, Instagram page today. It was pretty cool. It's a very pretty old recipe. That goes back way back in Italy. Um, I just thought that was cool. I'll, I'll try and get you that recipe. I might okay. like to look at, oh, wait, I can see some ingredients here. Wait, wait, wait. Well, her ingredients, and she will mix out um, this woman. She interviewed a woman who, who was making this bread. She kind of, remember, it was all oral narrative. Uh, she said, um, depending on, she worked for a priest, cooking for a priest for eight years, and depending on how much money they had, whether she put water or milk in it. So half a cup soft and lard, two large eggs, three quarter cup sugar, half a cup water or milk, 
one cup flour, three quarter cup fine cornmeal, two teaspoons baking powder. You don't put baking powder in yours, right? Yes, two teaspoons. You did, two yeah. teaspoons, okay. And then half a teaspoon salt. What about baking baking soda? No, no, interesting. And she huh? uses lard instead of the pork fat. Right. So she's but it's, really using beef fat, yeah, I think. Yeah, but it could go either way. I'm just trying to see if I can see a year on here of how far that goes back, you know, um, that recipe. But um, it's been for hundreds of years around there. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Can you make a cornbread without a skillet? Well, yes. yes, of course you can. Will it be good? Yes, it'll be super yummy. <laughs> is it better with a skillet? Well, it is because you get the caramelized edges. Right. Which, and everybody wants the edge pieces yeah. because, yeah. you know, it has character. Mm -hmm. And can you make it without the bacon? Of course you can. <laughs> but why would you? <laughs> no, I understand. Seriously, I yeah. understand. Some yeah. people don't eat, yeah. have no interest in eating meat. They're uh, vegan. They're vegan. Exactly. Um that doesn't mean they eat plastic, which is what we were talking about before. Is that's right? You know, that's right. Anyway, um, so it would be actually really delicious without the bacon. Yeah. If you use butter, and if you use well, butter, that butter. In, in the skillet, that butter will also act to give you some of your your kind of crispy edges. Mm -hmm. uh, so I I think that you would be fine if uh, if you weren't a uh, a bacon <laughs> or a pork lover. You'd still have a, right. a mighty fine. Um, cornbread and you know i'm safely far enough away from the american south that mm -hmm. i can make cornbread without getting embroiled into a philosophical discussion about the right way to do it well uh, because or the I name think, of it i think depending on where you are yes what you call it and mm -hmm. how you make it exactly specifically helps define who you are in parts of the American South. And up here, well, I just don't have that level of connection. I just right. like it in the skillet because it's yummy. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's good. I mean, and also you can put maple syrup in it. Sure. Definitely you could do that. You could do instead of sugar that you'd get that caramelized feeling if you weren't having the bacon. Maybe that yeah, would help get that rich. Nice in it. it is good. And then, yeah. And it's sort of like that whole donair thing. People have different names for it. Right. Johnny cake. <laughs> they don't call cornbread Johnny cakes. No, no. But so what bread. is the difference? What is a Johnny cake? Is that just a it's corn cornbread? Bread? Just cornbread. What's, what's corn pone? I don't know. I rarely eat cornbread. <laughs> See, I, I, I'm going to have to do a little research. I know, I think so. I'm just making some notes. There's corn pone, and then there's there's Johnny Cakes, now and then there's there's hoe cakes. What's a hoe, hoe cake? I don't know. So I don't really mm. know either the difference between the hoe cake, the Johnny Cake, the cornbread, right. uh, the pancake. The pancake, obviously, and the cornbread are different, but uh, right. they have similar names. I don't know where that crossover mm. is. This, this mm. requires some research. They're it all good for in the breakfast. category of the difference between a a, a pancerato and a stromboli and a calzone, which True. I think we've discussed here before. We have, we have, and I think they're all the same. <laughs> Depending on your nickname for them in your neighborhood, that's it. And they're all good names. Meanwhile, regardless of what you call it mm -hmm. and what you put in it, mm -hmm. skillet cornbread is yummy, and I highly recommend it. <laughs> and um, it's especially yummy with all varieties of chili, be they meatful or meatless. That's true. Or That's even true. beyond meat, which I guess is the is the two thousands uh, version of uh, right. Well, as soon as you get south of Chicago, 
pretty much anything you order in a restaurant, it's not uncommon in a diner to get cornbread at the table as your bread selection. Yep. Yep. Uh, Down in Tennessee. Yep. Then that chain doesn't Cracker Barrel. It always has. Doesn't matter where it is. It always has cornbread in it. Well, <laughs> that's that, that's what's true. it called? I mean, Cracker Barrel. In a, in a way, it Sounds is funny that, now that I say it. Quintessential American food. If you were to look for a few things that you might call American food, that would be one of them. I think. Definitely. What about hot dogs? <laughs> well, I guess hot dogs have become right. American food, but they were frankfurters that's true they? they were so they would have yeah. come from germany and you think of burgers well that the hamburgers i would think would have come from that's Hamburg. true that's true that's just a guess yeah and sandwiches of course came from the earl <laughs> earl of sandwich that's right oh we're just killing it today aren't with we our though? historical knowledge yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh i watched another documentary okay you know it's funny um I've been watching RuPaul. RuPaul this season is killing it. It's so good. I can't stand it. I had so many things I wanted to talk to you about RuPaul. And I just forgot. But it, this is connected because I watched Catch and Kill, which came from a podcast, Catch and Kill, about Rowan Farrow tracking down Harvey Weinstein's victims. Oh, and so there's a, Yeah. And so now there's a little bit of... They, they put it together as a film from the podcast. And they being, um, obviously, Rowan Farrow, but... The producers, I want to get their names right, Randy Barbato and Fenton Bailey. They produce RuPaul's Drag Race. And they made the documentary Maplethorpe. Uh, they also made um, Finding Deep Throat or okay. uh, Inside Deep Throat, The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Before the movie I saw, there was a documentary. And uh, Becoming Chaz, which was about Chaz Bono. Ooh. Yeah. So they are really interesting filmmakers. I didn't know who they were for the longest time. I couldn't find anything on them when, when I saw Maplethorpe, except somehow I traced it back to RuPaul because they do the RuPaul drag race. And Fenton Bailey is the child of David Bailey, who was a very famous fashion photographer in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Um, anyway, um, this was so good because he interviews a couple of the women he interviews and and every chapter is called every episode's called something i think there's six episodes like the wire the assistant the detective and then i think something like the media at some point after he's gathering all this information and he he worked for nbc rowan farrow did he gets enough information he finds out there's a woman who has a recording of being in Harvey Weinstein's suite when he gets very aggressive with her. And she turns out to be someone who got a non-disclosure agreement signed. He gave her money and she had to give all of her laptops and phones and all of her passwords and they erased everything on them. So she would never have anything against him. But at the last second, I guess she had a fifth email that she sent the recording to and just forgot about it, came back and said, oh, well, if I'm going to do this disclosure and I don't want to get killed or in trouble, I better tell them. She did, but she'd still saved that one tape. Somehow, I don't know how Rowan Farrell found out, but he found out that this tape existed. So he talked to her and he said, well, you can't give it to me. You would break your contract, but while you're playing it, I can record it. And then you're not breaking your contract. 
you'll be fine. You didn't give it to me. I recorded it. So that's what they do. And they play this in the documentary. And he takes it to NBC, all of his information. He's been working, working, working on all these rumors. They're just rumors, mostly. And then he finds a few accounts. He goes to NBC and they're like, oh, yeah, I'll keep working on it. The next thing you know, they bury it. Of course. So this story turns out not just to be about Harvey Weinstein, but about NBC burying the story. Um, mm. They go, we can't do anything with it. It's yours. You can do whatever you want with it. So he went to the New Yorker. So I thought that was really cool. Then they interview the guy that was working somehow associated with him at NBC who had three or four little girls and he eventually had to leave NBC. He was so disgusted by this. So it was pretty interesting. And you know about NBC, of course, they had their reasons why they didn't want to expose anybody. They had Matt Lauer. Ah. They must have had rumors about him and thought, well, let's not point our fingers at someone else. Someone might point fingers at us. So there's a little bit of a feeling about that too. You know, they can't really prove it, but it's possible. But it was such a cover-up for quite a long time, probably, well, since the 90s. So anyway, that was really fun to watch. Again, it was kind of interesting to see how do you make this film out of not very much material, visually pleasing. The content really helps. <laughs> Hey, you know, when we were talking about um, Nightmare Alley, yeah, we, we, we neglected to talk about one of the most important characters in the, in the whole film. Oh. Um, and I think we should, we should just take a few minutes to, to talk about that character and how he was treated. Uh, and that is the geek. Oh, well, see, I avoided it for a reason. Because? I mean, we're, because of the movie, the plot. Oh, because, because we might ruin the plot. Yeah, maybe. Uh -huh. But if you've seen Freaks, it's not going to be ruined. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I really hope all our listeners have seen Freaks. It's like the most important Todd Browning movie. It's like, it's the movie of all movies for movie lovers. Especially horror genre. I think that character is one of the things that tells us that this carnival world is the world that is Stanton's imaginary world in a way. Oh, because I do feel like that, that's what I was trying to say at the beginning about that dream quality. That yes, how, this it's, is it's a psychological. Much, it's very much his psychological world. Yes, thank you, Eugene. Thank you. I, right? I wasn't sure and, how to say it. Um, because in this world, they mm. take someone who, they, they advertise the show, is he man or is he beast? Mm -hmm. But he is man. He's an obvious. He's obviously man, and he's a horribly tortured uh, man who is at the lowest point in his life due to his alcoholism. Mm -hmm. um, and the the way he is treated offhandedly by the characters in the carnival is so horrible. Mm -hmm. It lives in a cage. He lives in a cage. He doesn't brush his hair or bathe. He's gross. Barely eats. Barely eats. He's skinny. He's, you know, he's just a wreck. And he just, he has no energy. And when he escaped one time, you know, I think he was, I'm sure he was just trying to find some food. He was probably oh, too yeah. weak to escape. Um, and he just becomes, I don't want to ruin the plot either, but let's just say that he becomes an important figure in a way in the whole yeah. film. Well, yeah, full cycle. 
I think that also like the idea of a geek, you know what, well, you know what I thought about in this movie is how come they've never made geek love into a movie. Oh yeah. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. Because they definitely had this guy with all his bottles. In fact, I'll tell you for the first few minutes, I thought, is this geek love under a different title? Mm-hmm. Are they going to be breeding their family of circus freaks here? Mm-hmm. Um, but no, it wasn't that. Catherine Dunn, great book. Um, so no, I know the, the geek thing is terrible. It could be a, it could be the capitalism of, of late yeah, it's, America. It's very disturbing. And you yeah. know, some of our listeners, especially our younger listeners, um, may not Might know not what a know. geek is. Right, right. Um, you know, we use the word to mean somebody who's like a computer nerd. A nerd, yeah. A programming nerd, we might call it yeah. geek. He's a computer geek. So we use it that way. Um, I remember growing up, my first exposure to the word, I think, was probably in the Bob Dylan song, Ballad of a Thin Man. Oh. You walk into the room um, and you, you see you see the geek. And I thought, well, what is this geek? Why is he in this song? And and so I, at the time, I looked I looked it up and I, I found out that the geek is a carny performer who... Mm-hmm. His job is to eat, is to bite the head off a live chicken. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, they have a a geek scene in this, and it's it's hard to watch. I looked away. It's very hard to watch. I looked man. away. I th- I didn't think they were going to show it. They sure they sure did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it was kind of yucky. Yeah. Yeah, it's a sad movie. Yeah, so I just wanted to go back to that. We, had, we didn't mention the geek. No, we didn't and, mention and the geek. Is sort of it tells the story in a in the in a second. Yeah, and in a way, I think watching it, you know the story as soon as you meet this. Character. Oh, I knew how it was going to end. Yeah, for sure. Because and, and again, partly because of that uh, film noir structure, but it's like um, yeah, because you're not going to have a hero. This was really not a story where you're going to have a good time. Plus, we really wonder. We do find out what that first scene is you don't know at the beginning you suspect you know he's killed somebody yes. but you don't know the story behind it and then when well, you find out it was an entertaining film well, you don't have a good time but it was entertaining yeah it, oh no it was very entertaining it was very well paced absolutely absolutely no it was good maybe not as good as ghostbusters <laughs> maybe not ghostbusters is not nominated for best picture though and that's a crime so what have you all been watching out there? You've been seeing any movies that we ought to see? You can email us at theagency.podcast at gmail.com. And we love to hear from you. Yeah. And if you've seen The Power of the Dog, I'd love to know what you think about it. Maybe Eugene's going to watch it this week. Yeah, we'll <laughs> do, you like how I, do you like how I just volunteered to watch, you know, watch a movie? Yes, thank you. <laughs> and we'll be back at you with more of the fun and excitement next week. Okay, see you later, Eugene. Bye. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening.